Hello, everybody. Um, as Rob has said, this Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. And it's a little bit like, I think, a bridge between the themes that we've just been teaching on the past few weeks and what we're going to be teaching on for Advent this year. Um, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark and the kind of the, the narrative that's bursting with the urgency for God's people to know and understand the kingdom of God a kingdom outside of this world, but that influences this world and gives it meaning. Um, and, um, oh, I've lost my place. Um, it gives meaning to this world. And the kingdom that is revealed through the incarnation of Jesus and through the Son of God. And then Jesus, the promised king, who was always part of God's rescue plan. That's really important to remember. This is God's plan that is never changing. And it's that promise that we will be tracing through the Old Testament then all through the Sundays in Advent. We have some beautiful new artwork here, thanks to Scott and Christina, for the next few weeks. But our scripture today is from John 18, verse 33 to 37. And it's a passage that most of us would maybe associate a little bit more with Easter. So it was surprising to me initially, but as we read it, you'll see that it is actually hugely relevant for today, Christ the King Sunday. This day that we celebrate and we acknowledge his authority and his sovereignty over all the earth and over our lives. And through this scripture today, we will really discover what kind of a king we have in Jesus and what his truth really means for us. So if you want to follow along with me there on the screen, we'll just read today's scripture. Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And I think just maybe to give a little bit of history on this feast of Christ the King, it was first instituted in the church calendar by Pope Pius XI in 1925. And in Europe at that time, there was a major rise or a growing rise in secularism. And Pope Pius brought this feast about in the hope that the people will be reminded that Jesus is king over all. His hope was that this feast would encourage leaders and, um, and nations to renew their respect for Christ and to govern through his truth as we have prayed for our own leaders today. And he also hoped that the faithful would gain strength and courage from this feast as they were reminded too that Christ reigns in there and indeed in our hearts and our minds and our wills and our bodies. But the way the world views kings and the way worldly kings rule is very, very different to the character and the way of King Jesus. 
Kings, um, historically, I think, have sometimes been oppressive, um, and today they can also maybe even be viewed as not relative anymore because many of them, um, the government rules, and they don't really have an awful lot of input or they have a more limited role. But yet the world seeks kings. In the book of 1 Samuel, the Israelites rejected Samuel as their leader because they wanted a king to lead them like all the other nations had a king. But God was Israel's king. But they rejected him for want of a human king. Even though they were set apart and God called them as his own, even though he had brought them out of Egypt, he had fed them in the desert, he'd given them the promised land, they did not want to acknowledge the Lord as their king. They still wanted this human king. And this is what the Lord said to Samuel in that time. He said, now listen to the people, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel went back to the Israelites and he did warn them. He warned the people sternly, but their idea of a royal leader going ahead of them in battle, this closed their minds to every single warning. So God gave them the king that they wanted and he gave them King Saul who reflected their love of the world. And of course, in this, it's so important to remember that that God still reigned in all this because it had always been his plan to give Israel a great king. And King David followed on and through his bloodline, the divine king, Jesus would come. And in our passage today, we see Jesus and Pilate come face to face. And it's through this interaction that we kind of see the, the, the kingdom of God contrasted against the kings of the world. And we see the people are still rejecting the king that God so, like, so wants to give them. And what we see here in this passage is Jesus redefining what the world understands kingship to be. And we also see the offer and the rejection, again, of truth on Pilate's part. So to give a little bit of context here, Jesus is on trial, and the Jews have brought him to Pilate because they want him to be judged under Roman law, because they want Jesus to be killed. And under Jewish law, they are not permitted to put anyone to death. So it must be a Roman and now Pilate, bless him, he's in this very awkward position of literally trying to find something to accuse this man Jesus of. So basically, he can keep everybody happy and try and keep face himself. And it's Passover in Jerusalem. It's a really busy time. The city's absolutely jammers full of people. And there's this angry crowd outside of Pilate's headquarters, literally shouting for somebody's blood. But Pilate... Pilate is only a Roman representative. He, he doesn't really hold much power, and he's probably really been sent to Jerusalem just to keep an eye on things, and he's probably quite insecure about where he's at and wanting to do the right thing to keep on Caesar's good side. And so he's in this posture of wanting to increase his own power and to protect Caesar's power. So it's in that posture that he suddenly finds himself face to face with Jesus. 
And he meets this man that people are calling King of the Jews. He must have been so confused because in his mind, like everybody else at that time, a king was somebody who should be dressed in expensive robes or possibly in armor. He should have a, a strong military presence around him. So when he came face to face with Jesus, I wonder what Pilate thought. Because standing before him is this weary, bruised, beaten man, alone, a common carpenter, probably almost half stripped, no beautiful robes. So when he asks, are you the king of the Jews? It's full of irony and unbelief, but at the same time, he's still trying to determine, is this man standing in front of him trying to set himself up against Caesar? So he's in this really hard moment. And Jesus, in his answers to Pilate, he begins to reveal the true nature and character of his kingship and of his kingdom. Kings of the world use their power, their wealth, and their force, and they lord it over others. At least maybe that's what historically would have been up to them. Jesus stands for none of those things. Jesus doesn't lord it over us. Jesus simply wants us, or invites us even, to follow after him. His kingship is characterized by humility and service. Completely different. But that is because he is not a king of this world. He is the head of a kingdom, but it's not one that Rome was to fear. His authority is not derived from or dependent on this world. And he's trying, he's trying to give Pilate the opportunity to see that. Ultimately, what's happening in this interaction is there's actually two trials simultaneously happening. The worldly trial of Jesus and the heavenly trial of Pilate. Because Pilate thought he had the power over Jesus. Pilate thought he held Jesus' destiny in his hands when actually it's the opposite. Pilate had the privilege and he had the opportunity to speak with and to encounter the Son of God face to face. But he still could not shed that fear of man. He couldn't shed his own power-hungry desires enough to see and to say yes to the truth that he was being shown. And verse 37 of this passage, it just, it really stood out to me. And I think it's, it's key to our faith and our understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. And it also fits beautifully, I think, into the, the season that we're about to step into. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. For this I was born, the season we're about to step into, Jesus' birth. This statement shows that he has a common humanity with us. He was born just like us. He understands us. For this I came into the world, speaks of his pre-existence and his incarnation 
as God on earth speaks of his divinity. And to testify to the truth speaks of Jesus' beautiful mission to show all people the true nature and love of God for his people and to rescue us from our sin. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He not only speaks truth, he is the truth. He is truth personified. And I, I think you'd agree with me that our culture today, it, it doesn't like it when one group or one person claims to know or have the truth about something. It's kind of seen as arrogant or controlling. Culture says that if you have to comply with or obey truth, that there is a lack of freedom in that. But Jesus in John 8:32 says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's saying you have to know truth and be in touch with truth to be free. Two completely different things. The world says truth will control you, but the Bible and Jesus says it will free you. There's a huge choice to be made there for all of us. And I think it's important at this point just to, to acknowledge and note that our opinion is not truth. Our opinions change like the wind. Truth doesn't change. And there's also a difference between that which is true and truth. What's true is changeable, but truth is not. For instance, what was true for me at 25, single and swanning around Southeast Asia and Australia, <laughs> is not true for me now um, as a 40-something um, married mom of two. And what's true for me now is not true for all of you. And therefore, these aspects are not truth. They're just true. On my bedside table for the last year or so has been a book called Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions. It's by Lisa Bevere. And I'd just like to share a quote from her. What was true in one season is not necessarily true in the next. These kinds of truths, these kinds of truths live in the domain of our particular worlds and are subject to change. Anything that applies only to some can't ultimately be truth. True can be relative. Truth is never relative. If we are not careful with truth, it will become a casualty in our current culture. I'll just say that again. If we are not careful with truth, it will become a casualty in our current culture. And the fact that the truth might be inconvenient or unpopular does not change the fact that it is truth. Truth is eternal, woven in the word and the statutes of the most high God. I have that book, I think, on my bedside table because knowing the truth and standing on truth and being anchored to truth is very important for me. 
Um, a few years ago, probably around 2012 to 2014, I went through a period of anxiety. Many different reasons, don't need to go into, but it would physically kind of manifest itself as heart racing, heart skipping a beat, not sleeping well, breathless, dizzy, probably mini panic attacks, that kind of thing, um, on and off over those couple of years. And I think I got to a point during those few years where I was just, I was just kind of fed up of being shaken in myself and in my circumstances and in things going on around me. And during that time, the Lord really challenged me on where my security really lay and what I truly believed about him and about my salvation. And it was a period, I think, when I really had to delve deep into his word and hold on to all the foundational promises of my faith or decide that I didn't really believe it at all. I felt God saying to me, you know, you've said for so long that you believe this. You're not really walking it out, though. During this time, God showed me another way to live. And during this time, I had to make choices, and I chose to worship him. I chose to allow him to be the king of my heart. And in his presence, day by day, very slowly, he renewed my mind. And he showed me that I didn't have to be shaken by the world all the time if I remained anchored to his truth. And although I think I'd been a Christian since my early teens, I believe that it was really during this season that I truly listened to his voice and I became aware that I belonged to that truth. And since then, you know, there are times I still find it hard to hear, I still get a bit anxious every now and again. Um, but I know, I know what I know what I know. And I know I belong to him and that he, the truth, is unchanging. So as we consider as a community today, Christ the King, can you say he's the king of your heart? And if you say that, are you living out of that place, in a place of freedom? Have you recognized his humility and service? Because if we have, that should change the way we are in this world. And we should be serving in humility. And what of truth? Are you struggling in that place of feeling controlled by truth? Or can you let it set you free and live in the truth of Jesus as Savior and King every day? Let's pray.